For all of Czech's drawbacks, they're still quite popular. And as payments research reveals, quite satisfactory to AP professionals. In this payments original podcast, Matt Clark, president and COO of CoreCentric, tells Karen Webster why the ePayables conversation must keep the vendor in mind and take a more holistic view of the order to pay process. Matt, thanks for joining me today. I'm looking forward to our conversation, one in a series we've had about payables friction. So thanks again for making the time. Thank you. My pleasure. So we're going to dig into a little bit uh, of some of the root causes of of friction. And, you know, these conversations always seems to start with with paper checks. And I, I want to throw a stat at you from the work that we did together when we asked AP professionals about the process. And they said that their satisfaction rate for using paper checks is just, I'm putting just in quotes, 63.5%. I mean, it's not like it's 10%. Um, so it's not as <laughs> if they, they hate it. Um, but, but why is it that paper checks just won't die? I think you've, you've probably hit on it. Um, with the statistic you just um, you just read off there, so I think in order for things to you know materially change on a broad basis, you know the, the pain has to be uh, acute enough, you know, to kind of blast through the you know kind of historical inertia that exists in anything. And so I think that's one of the issues uh, at hand in terms of you know not seeing more of a uh, aggressive move to move away from checks is that especially from the the buy side of a, of a payments uh, equation, you know, the, the pain, uh, the pain from uh, issuing checks and the inefficiencies along with it haven't been felt acutely enough or haven't been brought probably to the surface well enough uh, by, by the providers that are trying to help companies move away from checks. So I think to a certain extent, you know, if you're looking at, um, you know, kind of the parties involved here, you know, you have, uh, the customer themselves, you have the banks that they use to uh, process most of their payments through. And I think between the two of them, there's not a lot of um, dialogue taking place on a day-to-day basis about efficiencies in, in other uh, means of, of payments. And uh, quite frankly, from a bank's perspective, while um, there are some advantages um, from an ACH or other payment methodologies perspective, you know, they're still doing, they're still doing just fine, I think, yeah. from the, <laughs> the issuing of check yeah. payments. And yes. so, you know, it's, it's, it's on the, you know, kind of, I would call third parties of the world, yeah. uh, you know, the non-bank entities and industry folks and, and people of that uh, sort to really, um, you know, really bring to the surface, you know, the, the benefits uh, and on the flip side of that, the, you know, the downfalls of, of not moving to, um, you know, more electronic forms of payment. And I think that, that, um, you know, that message I don't think has been, um, you know, delivered effectively enough to, uh, have the CFOs of the world and others, you know, sitting there saying, you know, this is, this is top of my priority list when I measure it against everything else that I have to do in my, my world here. And we've talked about that before, but is part of this, the dialogue isn't happening between the bank's and, and 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 corporates about this, or is it that the conversation isn't focused enough on 
the pain. I mean, inefficiencies can be kind of squishy, right? Because it's like, well, right. you know, it's not that awful, you know, as yeah. as as you, looking at the sixty three point five percent satisfaction rate would 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 suggest. But but what it so what is it? Is it no conversation or the wrong conversation? I think it's both. I really do. Uh, I think um, the conversations that do tend to take place. Uh, I think that's that's the challenge here. Is I think the conversations that do take place. Uh, tend to be somewhat myopic, um, so there's conversations taking place, but they're uh, they're happening between people that have a very kind of um, vested interest, maybe in a you know in a particular outcome at a particular kind of small sliver of the entire kind of payables uh, continuum there, and so when taken uh, in very small pieces uh, and done so very myopically, it's it's very hard for um, the person that's receiving the message or having a conversation, you know, the, the customer uh, in this case, to then say, okay, let me put all these pieces together of all these different, you know, kind of slivers of conversation I'm having uh, and piece that all together to make one kind of coherent mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, continuum, you know, end-to-end continuum uh, assessment of, you know, what's best, not just within their own four walls, but also, you know, for their entire kind of, um, you know, B2B interaction uh, universe there because that's the that's the whole point is you know folks have to realize uh, it's not just uh, a discussion around you know the one side of the equation it's kind of the the you know teamwork kind of community type uh, mentality to say okay if if we're doing things that are more efficient for the whole kind of b2b uh, spectrum here ultimately that will result in better outcomes um, for all parties involved, which will lead to, you know, less friction to the, mm-hmm. to the kind of point of this discussion yep. and less friction will mean, you know, more efficiency for all, not just myself as the buyer, but also the supplier that we work together to remove friction that should benefit, you know, all parties in terms of in other ways. So I want to go back to the first point that you made, which is, um, feeling the pain. So let's talk about a pain point. We'll, we'll talk about two of them, but let's take, take them in order. Fraud. So, you know, th- there there is check fraud and and that is one mm-hmm. of the advantages of using digital payment methods like e-payables because that takes the fraud out of the equation. Isn't fraud a pain point acute enough to drive the right conversation and get people's attention? I think it absolutely is, uh but I also think it's one of those topics where when it hasn't happened to somebody to right. any kind of great degree. Right. They sit there and look at it as something that happens to other people, but not me. Right, right, <laughs> so, right. Uh, I think you know the customers that we have and the people that we've engaged with that have prioritized, you know, moving to more secure uh, methods of payment. You know, in a lot of cases, have had something happen uh, in their world uh, that has you know have, have had fraud happen uh, to a degree where they felt some pain and said, "Okay, that's not going to happen to us again." Uh, whereas you have other people out there that you know see that this is happening to other people, peers, and uh, other customers, but then have that mindset of, oh, well, that's not going to happen to me. I think it's, you know, I think it's the same thing on like a individual basis. You know, people are told all the time, you know, that they need to be doing certain things to protect their data, and you know, uh, to not leave themselves vulnerable to identity theft. And I think a lot of individuals would sit there and say, yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen to me, and then it does. Right. Right. And then those people tend to be the ones that are right. you know, making movements toward, you know, securing their information. So I think that's, you know, part of the part of the issue there is that folks uh, and it's human nature. You know, yeah. folks just say, OK, well, I haven't personally been impacted in a way that, you know, is going to force me to make a move. But but when they do, 
uh, you better believe it shoots up the priority list and, yep. and all of a sudden it's, you know, priority number one or two for folks. Yep. I mean, the last time we chatted, we, we had this great conspiracy theory that we were going to hide all the fax machines. It sounds like as one way to fix this problem, it sounds like we need to start publicizing check fraud. I mean, you know, it never hurts to put yeah, stuff Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great point because I think it's, um, I don't think it's highlighted enough when we talk about, you know, the uh, the drivers for, um, you know, moving to, and, and if you look at other areas of the world that have made more progress, uh, you know, you look over in Europe, uh, you look in even South America, uh, where, you know, checks have been, you know, moved out of the equation for the most part. It was it was driven mostly by fraud. It was driven mostly by uh, even at the government level saying, look, you know, the best way to remove, you know, some of the fraud that's taking place, especially in the B2B world, is to eradicate checks from the equation. And so a uh, combination of, you know, that messaging along with actual, you know, policy putting put up, being put in place has has led those uh, those regions of the world to be, you know, much further ahead than than we are here in, in the United States and, and North America as a whole. So, so here's another pain point, and that is the very manual uh, task of reconciling payment to orders, and that's a that's a nightmare. Um, again, is that not enough of a pain point because it creates delay, um, and delay is bad on 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 both sides of of the transaction? Is that not acute enough of a pain point to drive change? So it's another it's another area where I don't think folks have surfaced kind of the full um, full picture when it comes to to that. So if you look at somebody, uh, I, I talk about this a lot. You know, if you look at um, the supply side equation in terms of accepting checks mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and processing remittance information, you know, one thing the banks have done a good job of is you know putting in place you know lockbox services, for example, where you know they'll receive the check, they'll do the scanning, they'll do the data capture at the detail level. Send a nice clean file on to the uh, supplier of you know what what was being paid for, and then the supplier builds processes to you know to process those remittance, and it's and it's somewhat automated. So that part of it is good. The downside is that uh, most companies haven't understood you know what the cost is involved, in, yeah. and have really kind of you know almost built that cost into their um, you know into their business model to say, yeah, I know I have you know this big you know, pile of bank charges I get um, every month, but most companies don't, you know, really kind of do an unbundled analysis to say, okay, what is actually contained within these bank charges? And, you know, do I realize, you know, what I'm paying for that service? And do I realize that, you know, if things were done, you know, electronically further upstream in terms of the payment type and and those sorts of things, you know, the amount of uh, material costs that could be removed from the equation. So I think, again, it's another example of, you know, the pain is there. It's real. Uh, it's real from a cost perspective more than it is from a processing perspective because of, of some of the automation that the, you know, the lockbox services are bringing to bear. But, uh, you know, bringing that to the surface, highlighting it and making companies realize that there's, there's, better, there's a better way to do this and a way more cost-effective, cost-efficient way to do it is, is where that message should be uh, focused. What are you seeing and hearing about the the introduction of, of, of AI into the payables process. Is that a topic of conversation or, or, or not yet? It definitely is. It's definitely uh, something that's, you know, front of mind for us as a, you know, a solution provider to the space. And also I think is front of mind to, um, to the really kind of forward thinking 
uh, folks in in the world of 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 AP. I think, and I've always felt this way, even in kind of the earlier stages where you know some of this stuff becomes more kind of aspirational than it is reality in some of the conversations that take place. But I truly feel, especially in in AP, uh, that you know that AI has a tremendous amount of potential to uh, you know to really you know be something that is reality and that can actually deliver real value. And I, and I say that because you know, if you think about, you know, what exists uh, in the AP and even the AR world for that matter is, you know, it's a, it's a tremendous amount of repetitive tasks. So, it's, and it's a lot of activity being done to kind of confirm, you know, something that happened that we thought was going to happen. Right. So, um, you know, you, you issue a purchase order, you get an invoice back and, you know, there's a whole process that businesses have to make sure that, you know, what they sent on the purchase order came back on the invoice and what they, thought they were getting is what they got and what they thought they were going to pay is what they're being asked to pay. And so I think anything that involves those types of things where, you know, it's, it's kind of repetitive. It's a lot of activity to essentially confirm, you know, what happened was, or what, what you expected to happen, happened, And a lot of activity that's built around identifying or finding exceptions. You know, that's mm-hmm. yep. to me, you know, a lot of what happens in AP is a whole bunch of work being done, a whole lot of you know, uh, human intervention, you know, being done to basically find that, you know, that, that exception. So you're saying, okay, this was what I expected. This is what I expected. You know, you're doing that a hundred times. And then you come across that one thing that's like, Oh, wait a second. Here's the thing that, you know, came, uh, that, that wasn't what I was expecting. And so that to me is, you know, things like that are ripe for, for AI because you can, you know, you can really, um, you know, build intelligence, use, you know, historical activity, uh, to to really kind of allow a lot of the you know repetitive things to be automated, uh, to be done you know faster, smarter, more efficiently, so that you know a, a smaller group of humans can really focus on uh, you know the exceptions and focus on the things that require a little bit of uh, extra kind of uh, engagement on. And that's the same thing I think from a um, you know some of the things that we've been. You know, developing on our side of things uh, have been, you know, again more within kind of the own four walls of an, an organization. But you know, some some artificial intelligence around uh, something like the GL coding of of invoices and being able to you know add a lot of value by being able to take something that's you know traditionally been a very kind of mundane, yeah, <laughs> you know, human intervention task right. and and converting it into something that's done with AI. So again, that you know, 98% of the time things are being done in a, you know, automated intelligent fashion. Uh, and, and really just the exceptions are the things that need intervention. When you look at the stats um, in terms of adoption for e-payables um, from the supplier side, and, you know, obviously the, 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 the payable side is a function of what suppliers are willing to to except, I guess, um, you know, it's, it's just barely into double digits, um, but both on e-payables and, and even digital wallets. I mean, what's the role of getting suppliers on board to enable a more efficient way to pay? I mean, you talked about, you know, lockbox services making receipt of checks not so awful on the, on the supplier side. Um, so what is going to get suppliers to perhaps drive more interest or, or to get them to be more interested in a different way to accept payments? So I think from that perspective, it goes back to, um, I think, one of the 
the challenges that's taken place so far is that a lot of the efforts on that front with the suppliers is, is again, coming at it from a very kind of um, you know, singular focus and a myopic focus that says uh, a single customer saying that I've, you know, I've decided to go in this direction with how I'm going inter- to interact with you. And for me in particular, this is, um, you know, this is the way I want you to, you know, to interface with me. And, um, you know, for a supplier, that's, you know, one customer out of potentially hundreds or thousands uh, that's decided to do one particular way of interacting with them. And then they're saying, okay, well, that's great. And it's great for my customer. I'm assuming they're getting a lot of benefit out of this because it's making them more efficient or whatever. But it hasn't done anything on a holistic measure for me as a supplier. And now I got to go out to the rest of my customer base and figure out, you know, half of them or whatever we said, 60, or no, that was a different set, but, you know, more than half of them are still wanting to pay me by yep, yep. Uh, check. Another, you know, another bunch wants to do ACH. Another one, you know, smaller group is trying to do virtual credit cards. And now I'm still left to manage all these different methodologies. So I think there's a couple things, you know, to help drive that adoption uh, that, that we strongly believe in. One is, taking a broader view of the, the transaction life cycle. So uh, a little less of, you know, kind of the obsession over the, the last mile of a transaction and really stepping back and looking at the whole, the whole transaction life cycle from, you know, from source to pay to say, okay, how can we set up a, you know, a total picture here that makes it, uh, you know, great for, for both parties involved. And I think, you know, again, interjecting uh, an ability to, you know, meet meet suppliers where they're at, and try to leverage some of the things that they're doing, uh, and and do it more from kind of a, you know, a business community, you know, B two B community perspective. I, I always use the example of, you know, looking at B two C to see where B two B is going or needs to go or or is heading, and you know, I, I look at you know some of the Amazon examples get really tired, but uh, you know, you look at what Amazon created. And it, it's pretty simple. It's an ability for buyers and sellers to collaborate on a transaction in a way that's easy for both sides of the equation. And so to the extent that we start um, taking a more two-sided look at the equation, a more holistic look at the equation, and figuring out how to build uh, these types of hubs or, or B2B uh, connection points that you know bring value to both sides of the equation is really what's going to drive you know more massive massive adoption. Yeah, you know, it's funny you should bring up the, the notion of of platforms and hubs. I mean, that was a thing back in the what late nineteen nineties, right. early two thousands, and and they kind of yeah. blew they kind of blew up. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I remember um, doing a bunch of these things at at Price Waterhouse at the time, and you know, it was a great idea. And buyers yeah. loved it. Suppliers hated it because it provided too much transparency yeah. about pricing, and you know the whole thing, whole thing yeah. collapsed. I mean, how do you how do you align incentives to get people to to do that? I mean, what have we learned, or how has technology evolved over the sure. last twenty years to kind of advance us a little closer to that that kind of a structure? Yeah, I think you know back then, and and I was involved in. And some of those, uh, some of those things back in the day too, the marketplaces and the yeah. hubs, and um, you know, it's truly one of those things where, um, you know, right concepts, you know, the timing, you know, and the market wasn't ready for it yet, and I think that's where you're seeing an evolution to that point now. So some of the things that you highlighted, for example, you know, suppliers hated it because they didn't like the customers having, you know, that kind of visibility. You know, that's. That's kind of table stakes now. Yeah, you know, right. customers in other ways have figured out ways to you know mine their own data, mine market data, 
you know, uh, there's a, a whole elevated level of intelligence that buyers have today that, you know, they didn't have 20, 20 years ago. So, you know, suppliers have accepted that as <laughs> as the way of the world now. So, you know, so, some things are now no longer uh, no longer relevant. And I think, you know, the other piece of it is, again, if you can create a situation like that that actually delivers value to a supplier that says, okay, you know, the same things that a buyer is looking for, which is being able to, you know, um, have one one way in which they're exchanging purchase orders and invoices, one way in which they pay their entire supply base, uh, you know, one way in which data is exchanged. Those are all things that from the supply side are, are you know, something that they're looking for as well, too. So if you provide those key, you know, those key um, efficiency points, those ease of business doing, uh, ease of doing business points, I think it really helps drive drive adoption because if the supplier is truly getting value and saying, okay, yeah, I know a competitive situation might drive down the price point of a, of a goods or service. Um, on the other hand, you know, the savings I'm getting from being able to interface very efficiently for receiving orders, for transmitting invoices, for receiving payments, for reconciling payments, uh, and for visibility from, for example, a credit and collections risk perspective, all of those things you know, what the supplier is looking for, if that's part of the equation, you know, the value, you know, far out well, outweighs any any potential uh, negatives there. So, Matt, in that environment, with that model, how important is it for the suppliers to have payment method op- optionality? I mean, is it one method of payment for all, or is it something, is it important for suppliers to be able to toggle Back and forth, based on you know their own cash position at the at at the time. I think it's extremely important for suppliers to have some optionality there. Uh, I think you know again going back to something that's human nature. I think as humans, you know, options are always uh, much better accepted than when somebody just tells you, "Here's your one choice, and you have to do it this way." And I think from a rea- reality perspective in the business world, there has to be a recognition that. Um, you know, suppliers all have kind of different things going on in their world, and you know, some businesses might be seasonal. Uh, some businesses might, uh, you know, be at different stages in their their life cycle in terms of from a you know cash flow solvency perspective, and all of those things would you know factor into on what uh, today might be a uh, a good option for a particular supplier, and and six months from now it might not be. And so, having some level of optionality, I think, will always drive. Uh, greater adoption and, you know, allowing it to, you know, be presented in sort of a kind of trade-off fashion that says, hey, if you accept this payment methodology, I'm willing to um, accelerate a payment yep. to you. Or if you want to go this other option, uh, then maybe the, the payment will be decelerated and then the supplier can make the, you know, choices to say, you know, a accelerated cash, cash in my hand today is is number one priority. And, and because of that, I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to, um, you know, make a trade-off with the customer and mm-hmm. say, "I'll take uh, I'll take less than full value of the transaction right. to get paid sooner." Right. And it turns out, in a, in a kind of economic equation perspective, being you know a a win for them because they have no other avenue to get you know that cash flow and get yep. their hands on that cash flow for cheaper. So. Yep. Yeah. I mean, as they say, time is money, right? So, uh, exactly. uh, and, and in this yep. and in these situations, it really is. So, so is that is that where you see? Um, a, a lot of the innovation happening in B2B payments. I know I know we're talking about payables friction, but it sounds like, you know, based on the conversation we're just having, 
it really is looking at this from a platform perspective where um, it is about trading partners coming together, um, alignment of incentives, and that's really what will drive innovation on both sides of the transaction, particularly how 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 buyers pay suppliers. Yeah, I believe so, and I think that's where um, you know what we're seeing kind of best practices from a you know a, a sourcing and payables perspective is again more collaboration with procurement and finance right. to be able to create an ecosystem of suppliers that doesn't require you know, constant kind of trading in and out. So right. I think back in the day, you would have, um, you know, a lot less kind of maybe loyalty to suppliers. And you say, okay, well, where can I go to get the best price uh, on this particular product when I when I need it? And now I think, um, especially larger and, and mid-market organizations are saying, I want to pick a partner here for whatever good or service it is that I'm talking about. I want to set up an ecosystem in which we can do business in a very frictionless fashion I want to work with that supplier on, you know, innovation and opportunities mm-hmm. to make it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, more efficient for for both of us. And then, you know, and then for lack of a better term, we're gonna we're gonna stay married until there's a reason not to be married right. anymore. Right. So I think you're getting more work being done up front to find the right partner, you know, in the true sense. And that means, you know, kind of hmm. on all all levels of a of a transaction and a transactional relationship. And, you know, a, a bigger commitment being made where suppliers and buyers are working closer together to say, okay, let's work together since we know we're in this for the long haul. Let's work together to build, you know, the most efficient, uh, you know, uh, ecosystem we can between ourselves. And, and if we do it right, then there won't be much reason for us to, you know, to have a wandering eye. Interesting conversation. Matt, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for for your time and for your insights. I you know, I, I think uh, I think you're right. I mean, I've always been I'm obviously a big fan of platforms, but um, it's ni- it's nice to see the reemergence of of platforms and ecosystems in the in the B2B space. Um, you're right, timing is everything, and it sounds like the timing is right. It is, yeah. Thanks again for your time. Bye, Matt. Thank you. Always a pleasure.